0: I'm sure you've heard the phrase, you can't change other people, you can only change yourself. Well, it's not true. In fact, if you're a leader or a manager, it's your obligation to change other people, to help them become better at what they do, to become stronger. And if you care about the people in your life, then it's your longing to help them change in ways that support their own growth. This is the subject of my newest book, which I wrote with my good friend Howie Jacobson. It's called You Can Change Other People, The Four Steps to Help Your Employees, colleagues, even family up their game. It's based on my coaching methodology that I've worked on over the past 30 years, brought to you in a practical, step-by-step format that you can start using immediately. You can get it wherever books are sold. To download a sample chapter, either in written form or audio version, visit bregmanpartners.com forward slash new book. That's one word, bregmanpartners.com forward slash new book. And if you've already enjoyed You Can Change Other People, Please consider leaving a review on Amazon to help others just like you discover the book. Now, on to today's episode. With us today is Mark Devine. Now, I met Mark uh, when he had me on his podcast around, around my new book that came out. And I loved our conversation so much, and I loved him that I really wanted to share him with you and to have him come on this podcast. Now, the first thing I think about Mark when I look at him and I'm looking at him now is he's not someone who I want to meet in a dark alley if he wasn't on my side. Like, you know, if you think about a movie actor who plays a Navy SEAL commander. That's what Mark looks like, except he's actually a retired Navy SEAL commander. So like they model that after him. Lovely, lovely, lovely guy. His military service spans 20 years. He was uh, in the military from 89 to 2011. He oversaw various missions around the world, including Asia Pacific, Africa, Bahrain, Iraq, and he retired at the rank of commander in 2011. He uh, is a speaker, he's a coach, he's an author. Uh, He talks about the SEAL way of life. He wrote the book that I've read, Staring Down the Wolf, Seven Leadership Commitments That Forge Elite Teams. And we are lucky to have him with us. Mark, welcome to the Bregman Leadership Podcast.
1: Thank you, Peter. I love that intro, boy. (laughs) Uh, He (laughs) looks like an actor playing a Navy SEAL commander. Well,
0: that's true. And if we are in a dark alley together, I want you to be on my side, man.
1: That reminds (laughs) me of something funny. My first business, actually, my second business was called NavySeals.com. And this is right, you know, in the early days of the internet. So it was 1997 that I put that website up. I bought the domain for 35 bucks, (laughs) Register.com. My thinking was someone, you know, a SEAL should do the Navy SEAL website, not some, you know, somebody else who mess it all up. So anyways, I used to get a ton of people, you know, emailing me. And um, one of them was this woman writing romance novels. And she said, (laughs) oh, can I pick your brain, you know, for these romance novels? Like, give me a little (laughs) bit of, like, so I can make it more realistic. (laughs) And I did. And and then at one point we met and um, like her fourth or fifth book, she had um, like an acknowledgement, like a a make Culpa, like where she said, you know, I have to admit, I've been working with this Navy SEAL and he's, he's the, you know, the archetype for this. Guy, you know this Navy SEAL in this book, and I was like, "Oh my God, <laughs>
0: did you really have to say that's that? awesome?" I'm, I'm more, pr- I, I would be more proud of that than all the books that you've written. Like, that's kind of cool. Like, <laughs> I'm the archetype for, you know, a romance novel.
1: And then I had to go back to and read some of the more steamy scenes to see if I uh, stood up, you know. <laughs> <stood>
0: up, <laughs> up you know, I would love to. There's a number of things that we talked about before that I want to explore and bring up, but I'd like to start here. Like who you are, your career, how you grew up, what brought you to the Navy SEALs, what that was like.
1: Well, I'd love to do that, and and it was it's an interesting story because most people think, oh yeah, most SEALs, you know, their father was in the military or their brother or you know their uncle or, I had zero connection with the military. In fact, I I was not even remotely interested in the military when I even when I graduated college. My father, one uh, I think it was back when he was a junior at Union College, he got drunk and he drove his car into the fraternity house. And um, so he was standing in front of a judge and the judge said, listen, jerk, you know, you can go to jail for six months or you can join the army for two years, which is it gonna be? <laughs> and he goes, I'll take option B. So, so he joined the army and he was in the 11th airborne which was like this disreputable unit that was kind of on its last legs because they were, they're, they're, you know, their job was basically to occupy Germany. You know, well past its time frame. You know what I mean? In the fifties, yeah. right? And so, and so he got in a lot of trouble, and he just had a really negative view of the military. And so we kind of grew up thinking, you know, the military is for people who can't make it in life. And my parents were very judgmental and 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 um, opinionated, biased like that. And the only thing that was really legitimate for them was to go into business, make a lot of money, and preferably the family business. And our family business, Divine Brothers which my siblings are all involved with, you know, it's been around for over 120 years. It's one of those legacy businesses. So I kind of was dancing to that drummer as I went to college at Colgate University. Then I went down, followed the herd down to Manhattan. I got a job at uh, Cooper's and Librand. Remember them? Now Pricewaterhouse. Yeah, accounting. um, You you started your career as an accountant. As an accountant, right. And I knew nothing about accounting. I was an econ major at Colgate. But they sent me to NYU to get a master's in accounting, which, of course, I turned into an MBA in finance, because that sounded sexier, did get my CPA. And so I did all that, right? And so I was, I was off to the races with what everyone would, you know, think as be a phenomenal career choice, a great, you know, set of um, letters after my name. But what changed me, and then, by the way, I was just blindly following this path. I didn't, you know, it, it, it took me a couple of years to realize that I really had zero interest in public accounting or finance for that matter, or business. And what changed me was one day I was looking for something to do in the two hour block of time that I had between work and school. So work you know, Cooper's would let me off at five and my uh, night school at at NYU down at the World Trade Center would start at seven. And so I was looking for something to squeeze in and I was a, a competitive athlete and I didn't want to. I didn't want to follow what I saw with everyone else, where they just kind of let let all that training go. You know, like you're a martial artist, you know, we we just don't do that, right? There's something about my character that said I need to train, and so I would get up early in the morning and run, and I would go to the gym at lunch. But there was that two-hour block, and so I was stumbling down the sidewalk in front of my house one night. I had a couple beers, that's why I said I was stumbling, and I found myself underneath this big flag that said World Sato Karate Headquarters. And I heard these explosive sounds coming from upstairs, right? So I didn't want to go in right then because I had been drinking. So I went back the next day and checked it out. And that's when I met my first mentor, Tadashi Nakamura, who was a Zen master, also the founder of this karate school. So I started literally the next week and uh, I started studying Zen with him. Every Thursday night, he would have a Zen class, an hour sit. And then uh, twice a year, we would go to the Zen Mountain Monastery and trained karate and Zen kind of side by side, the yin and the yang.
0: Wow.
1: And there were, you know, for a guy, he had over a thousand students in that school alone, a couple hundred thousand worldwide. There were only about 10 of us who did the Zen, right? That everyone else was
0: just doing the karate.
1: Everyone was just doing the karate. They, they weren't, you know, that was just, you know, for weirdo, weirdos. And I guess I was a weirdo. What,
0: what, drew you, what
1: drew you to the Zen? You know, I've often contemplated that I think it was because my, my family was pretty, my dad was pretty abusive and um, you know, I love him to death, but it was chaotic to say the least, you know, he was abusive. Yeah. You were always arguing with my mom and um, drinking a lot. And, you know, the belt would come out almost every, every night when we were kids. And, you know, of wow. course that, that waned when we were in our teens, but what was my refuge was nature. In upstate New mm-hmm. York, you know, there's a lot of nature and, and we spend summers in the Adirondack mountains and I would go out into the woods and climb the mountains on my own all the time. And I just found it to be incredibly peaceful. It's mm-hmm. a meditation, right? Yeah. So without knowing it, I was already tuning my brain through the silence of nature and the beauty of nature. So when I got to New York, here's this cacophony of just noise going on in this, you know, this steaming mass of humanity. And so when I sat on that meditation bench, it, it made me feel calm again, and it made me feel like I did when I was on nature. So I think that's what yeah. drew me to
0: it. You yeah, know? yeah, 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 yeah.
1: And then what kept me there, kept me coming back to the bench, because most people try meditation, as you're aware, and they they quit because it's difficult to see quick results. And we, you know, we like quick results. Westerners, leaders, we're biased toward action. We're biased toward goal setting, and you can't do that with the internal arts. You you just have to be patient. And you have to look for some tells or some signs that there's some progress. So I trusted Nakamura. You know, I didn't want to let him down. And so I kept training. I kept coming back and kept training. And I noticed things shifting probably about nine months to a year into the training, the Zen training. And what would happen? First off, you know, the process we had, is it okay to go in this story, by the way? because yeah, yeah, no, I it's great. I have gotten to the part about joining the SEALs. This is relevant to all leaders listening because- it really formed the foundation for what later became my training unbeatable mind instructions were essentially to inhale, exhale, and count one, and then inhale, exhale, and count two to get, and to get to 10 was your goal, so to speak. But you know, the caveat was you can't think any other thought besides that. Inhale, exhale one, inhale, exhale two. Right. And so of course, the first few times I did it, i was like, I got to 10. I'm like, this is a joke. This is no problem. But I was thinking the whole time, you know? And so when I realized that I was like, Oh, you know,
0: then By I the couldn't... way, most people, if you do that, will never end up getting to 10. I, I meditate every day. Yeah. I have for years, but I still sometimes have a hard time getting to 10. Like it's I'll, very I'll difficult. find yeah. myself thinking and I'll forget what number I was at. It took me
1: months before I could get past four. Right. And in about a year I could get up to 10 pretty consistently. But then, you know, I would trip up a little bit and have to go back to one. And and I would go I would go deep and then I would go light. And, you know, remind myself and go deep again. But all of that was training my brain in a number of different things, as you're aware, is training my brain for attention control to stay, to keep my attention tracked on that one thing. And then it was also training concentration power because the longer and more intensely I could keep my mind focused on that count, then the more powerful my mind became. And the less, you know, I liken it to like a floodlight versus a, a laser beam. So my mind was becoming more focused like a laser beam. But then about, I still didn't really notice those things, except that I could get to 10 more frequently. What really started to excite me and even puzzle me was about a year into the practice, I would just lose myself into the practice, meaning I wasn't counting. I wasn't thinking I was there, but time just kind of stood still. And I was in this, you know, I was in the void, right? I just completely dropped off out of the rational mind into pure awareness. And I Sometimes it would seem like I was there for an hour or two and it was minutes. And sometimes it would seem like it was minutes and it was like 30 minutes. And um, when I would come out of those states, I always had some information that I didn't have before. And it wasn't like fully formed concepts, right? It was more like sensations or kind of feelings or like intuition. And what I kept bringing back with me, was that I was on this wrong path, right? That that this, this path that I'd chosen, MBA, CPA, go into business, make money, possibly go back and run the family business just wasn't for me. And so that's when I, for the first time in my life, I started to question the story that I had been given, right? And I know it's now pretty popular, right? To have leader maybe not so much leadership, but personal development books say, you know, what story are you telling yourself? You can change your mm-hmm. story, change your life, all that kind of stuff. But back in 1985, that was like brand new information for me.
0: You know? Yeah. And you're also, you're, it's, it, I think it's very important how you got there, meaning there's so many ways. Someone was just telling me they were making a decision and, and their advisor said okay so just make a pro and a con list you know and like yeah. oh, what's good about this what's not good about this and there's that's fine like there's nothing i, I don't want to bang on it's pro like and con step list. one right but it yeah and but it's but i think oftentimes the way we make big life decisions carry with them some neuroses like some sort of neurotic way of like making sure we're making the right decision and yeah. like if you talk to everybody you need to talk to and you have all the data and all the information and you're you're offering this, you know, like what, what, what the way you came to this sort of life altering decision was to sit quietly for long enough. That's right. For and long it time. became very clear.
1: Absolutely. And that's the key. You got to do it for long enough and you got to be, you know, relentless about the discipline of doing it. You know, it's, it's, it's effective to meditate just for five minutes a day. If you do it every day versus mm-hmm. two hours on a Sunday, right? Right better if you can meditate for 20 better if you can meditate for 40 minutes a day 20 twice a day you know whatever works for you but d- daily discipline sitting in silence is is magic right that's where what's that your
0: practice what's your practice now
1: so now my practice is every morning i wake up and i begin uh, my positivity gratitude and breathing so i have a practice called box breathing and then i um this whole morning ritual by the way i'm going to explain it to you it, some people think it's a little extreme but it's really not it's quite enjoyable so then I um, will review, I have it actually in my phone app, I review what I call my personal ethos. And so that includes some um, affirmation type stuff, then I've got my whole vision for my life and my future written out, and I read it again to remind myself, and I visualize it while I'm doing that. And, um, and I've got some other really nice spiritual things that I recite to myself, like the St. Francis prayer is one of them. I just absolutely love that. And so that really gets my mind. I've already breathed and calmed down. I've already been um, already in a a strong, positive mindset with my gratitude practice, managing my mental states. And then I basically re-architect my life and remember who I'm supposed to be. And I've already done the work to know, to understand who that person is, right? So that's a whole different practice in and of itself. So this is the act of kind of remembering who I am, which firms up the future memory. Right, And so when you have a future memory, then you're drawn toward that because you, you can remember who you are in the future. <laughs> so that, I call that my future me practice. Then um, I'm always like doing something else, either reading a spiritual book or something. So I'll read for not a whole lot of time. Like this year, I'm doing The Course of Miracles, which I think is awesome. So I'll just read The Course of Miracles and reflect and then meditate on that. And then I'll check my schedule for the day. So I haven't done anything practical, tactical up until this point. About probably about a good hour or so. Then I'll look at my schedule and I'll ask myself, does this still work for me? And what's the most important thing that I need to accomplish today? And I look at my schedule and I make sure that that's gonna be doable and, and there's no questions asked, right? It's non-negotiable. And then I'll have two or three other things that are good to get tos, but they don't, I don't have to. And so I do that with my, um, my training and my targets. So I have most important target, most important training. Then I'll have my smoothie my, with my wife. And then we come to our, our training center, which is just five minutes up the road. And so I've got a, a yoga, uh, martial arts mat room and my functional gym. And we'll do um, about a half hour of yoga. And then we do about uh, 45 minutes to an hour, you know, functional wad, which includes strength training and some high intensity stuff. I do that five days a week. And in the weekends, I do a little bit
0: different. I love it. And that takes you till five. Just kidding. It sounds. I
1: start at five and I could be done by eight or so or nine sometimes. Right. I try not um, to rush it though.
0: Tell yeah. us a couple of things. Tell us
1: what box breathing is. So box breathing is a practice that I developed for Navy SEAL candidates back in 2007, but it was built upon what I did with Nakamura. I didn't call it box breathing back then. When I was sitting on the bench, what I found was that in the inhale and the exhale, if I held my breath after the inhale and after the exhale, it actually helped me to concentrate. And I also noticed that there was a really nice quality um, the mind could take during the inhale hold and the exhale hold. And it's a different kind of quality. The inhale hold is very uh, energized and, and great for imagery work because you got all this oxygen and energy. The exhale hold was very, very still, very silent um, and, and almost, um, almost like a meditation on death because you've, you know, you've, you've left all the air out of your system. So I just started practicing that. And this is well before I ever learned about pranayama. And I, when I took up yoga, the martial arts and yoga, you know, are, are really kind of hand in glove. They, they really have the same roots. So I took up yoga and I naturally loved it because of my martial arts training. And that's when I really started to learn about breath work. So I wanted to teach Navy SEALs these techniques. And so when I started teaching them in 2007 through my business, SEALFIT, I started to teach them using kind of yogic terms and they got all glassy eyed and yawning on me. And so I said, well, I've got to come up with a different strategy. So I just, um, with a breathing technique, I just called it box breathing. And, you know, you could have a box that has a, you know, three count inhale, three count hold, three count exhale, three count, or up to four or five. And I settled on five. If you do five counts, each counts about one second. That's about three. It is three breaths per minute, you know, depending upon, you know, your, if it's just one second per count. And it just so happens what, when you practice this every day, it rewires your automatic breathing mechanism so that when you breathe without the holds, you're breathing for six breaths per minute, which now they know is the optimal breathing pattern for the human being, six breaths per minute, which then also gets your heart rate resonance kind of, it's, it's right in alignment with your heart rate variability for ideal health and, and calmness. What the box breathing does, Peter, is it, it de-stresses you both in the moment. And then when you do it every day as a practice, it, it de-stresses all the lifetime of stress that you build up. It leads to optimal um, physiological balance, homeostatic balance, which leads to optimal weight, better sleep. Of course, your brain is part of your biology. So what it's doing to your brain is it's kind of your, your, your brainwave frequencies start to settle down. And so when about two to three minutes into the practice, you get down into kind of a high alpha, low beta state in your brain, which is optimal for learning and for creativity. So you practice this every
0: day. And this is why this mm-hmm. is so important. How long do you practice for it in the morning? 20 minutes. Twenty. So, you, you're, so your 20 minute meditation is box breathing for the whole 20 minutes. We box
1: breathe for the whole time, but then we'll do different things with our mind while we're also doing the box breathe. Right. So the, the way that works for me and the way I teach it to my, uh, my corporate leaders is start with just five minutes of what we call arousal control. Don't do anything. Don't worry about anything in your mind. Just inhale, hold, exhale, hold, and allow the stress. Because what you're doing is breathing through the nostrils. You're massaging the vagus nerve. You know, all this stuff is now well-known. But when I was teaching it, you know, it was all brand new mm-hmm. back in 07. And you're triggering the parasympathetic nervous system, which is calming, rest and digest. So just do that. Then the next five minutes is when we move into the concentration phase. So I like to teach that with imagery. So we have them draw a picture of the box in their mind. As they inhale, they draw one side, hold, they draw the top, exhale, they draw the bottom or the bright side. And that's a great way. Or you can use other imagery or a mantra, but you know, anything that is a concentration object, but imagery is great because now you're, you're training that aspect of your brain, which has other benefits. Then we move part three. So you do that for five minutes. Then we move into mindful awareness where, we create a metacognitive shift where we kind of all shift our awareness to right hemisphere. And we're just allowing content to rearise. We're not concentrating. We're just allowing content to rearise out of that left hemisphere and, but we're watching it and then we're, we're managing the quality of it. Right? So this is extremely valuable for, for leaders, um, a to be mindful of what's happening in their thoughts so they can be more responsive instead of reactive. But B, also, uh, this is key, is to make sure that you're eradicating anything that's negative or fear-based. You know, like the Staring Down the Wolf book was all about overcoming your own very, very subtle subconscious negativity bias and fears that hold you back, right? So that's phase three. And then phase four, which happens naturally, is to allow yourself to drop off into that non-dual state that I talked about earlier happening in Zen. Now, that's not going to happen right away unless you've been doing some training, but um, It will happen, right? And so then you get this ability through the box breathing practice, A, to control your physiology anytime, just by clicking into that practice, B, to really concentrate like a laser beam on any important project or task, C, when you're in conversation or in a crisis to be super mindfully aware about the quality of your thoughts to make sure you're not clicking into some sort of negative reaction, and then to manage the quality so that you're positive, and you eradicate fear and negativity, right? And so you don't communicate that, you don't bring that into conversation. You're not the person holding back the team, right? You're always managing that energy. At, so you have positive energy and positive dialogue. And then, fourth, the capacity for ultimate creativity is when your mind trains itself or you train your mind to be able to drop off into that non dual state where you have access to pretty much unlimited wisdom, right? The wisdom it's mm-hmm. all around us. So that is a, a stacked practice. And it's all great, of this, great. you know, I just coddled together because it worked. And I started teaching it to SEALs, SEAL candidates in 2007, and they were going to SEAL training buds and succeeding at a 90% success rate,
0: mm.
1: which was blowing the SEALs away because it's 85% fail rate for everybody else. Wow. So th- they were so intrigued with this. And, and you would think that the SEALs would have been teaching something like this because it's like, these are right? basic warrior principles, but they hadn't, you know, the SEALs and the military has been very very technocratic focused on weaponry and tactics with their training and physical fitness and so what i helped do is bring back kind of the ancient warrior arts into the
0: mm-hmm.
1: military spec ops community and i'm very very stoked about that cuz so now they're doing these skills in their in the buds training and whatnot
0: so i want to get to in a minute how you teach you know zen breathing to macho seal you know You know, the the masters of the universe kind of thing, like how how you help them and or or maybe it's very easy, like maybe they don't resist, like maybe it's easy, but whether there's a challenge because, you know, we've we've talked about the importance of vulnerability with leaders. And so I think that there's something very interesting here. Before we do that, Mark, I want to um, uh, go back to the thread of your story. So you've you've been doing this Zen practice, you know, you're right. doing the sort of martial arts and the Zen practice. Bring us to joining the Navy SEALs. How did that? How did that occur? Like, how did thanks one for, lead to the other?
1: Thanks for bringing us back there. Yes. Yeah, so in those times where I could drop off and I would bring information back, and what the information was, I told you I was getting was that I was not. I was like a misfit. Literally, I was a misfit for public accounting for for the corporate world. And so I decided to start journaling and ask different questions. So I asked questions. So, well, if not that, if this is not it, then what is it that I'm right. meant to do? Right. And so, so this is like my first seeding practice. I kind of stumbled upon it. It's like When I went into meditation, I would ask myself, what am I meant for? Right? What am I supposed to be or do in this life? What's my purpose? And, um, and then I would just sit, meditate. And sometimes I would get some information and, um, and sometimes I wouldn't. But what the information I got, I kept hearing and feeling the word warrior, right? I was meant to be a warrior. Now I understand, you know, warrior is an archetype. We all have an archetype of a warrior when we have to step up and really take care of business and in spite of the consequences. So I could have easily been a warrior, you know, back at the family business, but it was something else. So I had to ask like, what type of warrior? And that's when I started to um, practice visualization. Now I'd also learned visualization from my college swim coach. He was kind of a pioneer in sports visualization. I had a profound experience. My uh, sophomore spring, he asked me to, with a stopwatch, to practice my 200-meter breaststroke with, you know, visualize it at night with a stopwatch. And it was really hard to do. I mean, I could barely get one, just like the Zen, you know, I had, I could barely get one, you know, pass down the, down the swim or the pool this is before my zen training you know what
0: does that mean visualize it with a stopwatch meaning visualize so it for I'm as long in- as you would actually you know if you want to yes. if you want to i get it if you want to race swim yourself, the whole race in your head it we, within the time frame that you yeah well you have. time
1: it you time it right right and so my you close your eyes and you could do this with anything that has a time and this but gun goes off jump into the water you know and every single stroke you're seeing in your mind's eye, including the turns right. and the underwater pullouts. So that took me, I tried to quit a few times and the coach again was like, no, 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 stick with it. This will have great benefit. And um, it took me a few months before I could swim the whole race in my head. Right. And when I would turn off the stopwatch, when I would touch the pad, my time settled into about the, you know, I would get the, roughly the same time every time. And it was three seconds faster than I ever swum in my life. Wow. And I was really puzzled by that. That fall, so junior fall, I got into an overseas study program in London. So I didn't swim. I came back in the spring and I, um, I wasn't going to swim at all because it, the, most of the season was over. But I ran into the swim coach and he said, hey, Mark, you know, how was your trip to London? We had some pleasantries and he goes, oh, by the way, we've got our championship meet next weekend. Why don't you jump in the pool with us, right? You're still part of the team. I was like, uh, you know, I was thinking, no, no, no. But my, my head was shaking. Yes, yes. <laughs> And so there I was, I did the 200 meter breaststroke, right. And I jumped in the pool and I'm swimming this rake. And I just had this sensation that I had swum this race before. And I touched the pad. I looked up, I got the time that I had swum in my mind a full year before or nine months before. Wow. Uh, Isn't that wicked? So anyways, (laughs) now check this out back. Fast forward to um, Mr. Nakamura, my Zen master, me on the Zen bench. So I would ask questions now, if not that, what? And I started to think about warrior. Then I would say, well, what kind of warrior? And so I would visualize myself, right? You know, am I supposed to be flying fighter jets? And I would visualize myself flying a fighter jet. And I got the sensation or the feeling in my body that that wasn't it. So, you know, so I chose different things that seemed hard and gritty. You know, I thought, well, maybe I'm supposed to be a roughneck on an oil rig, you know, in the North Sea or something like that. And so I visualized myself doing that. And I got bored. Right. It's like, oh, that, that doesn't sound good. You know, cause they're doing the same thing every day, you know? Right. And one day, so I'm trying these different things out in my mind. One day I was walking home and it seems almost like the synchronicity of me finding Sado karate and then me finding the Navy recruiting office were profound because when I was ready for Zen, I found Zen, but I wasn't ready for the seals to learn about the seals until about a year and a half later. And then I I walked past this Navy recruiter office and there was this poster in the window. It didn't say anything about Navy SEALs, but across the top of the poster, it said, be someone special. And the imagery was like Navy SEAL free fall parachuting, you know, into the night sky. And then two Navy SEALs in a little mini submarine under the ocean. And another Navy SEAL and a spotter who's a sniper and spotter in this hide site. And you couldn't even, you know, barely see them. You'd have to look really closely, you know. And another group coming out of the ocean, you know, all blacked out. And I was just stood there transfixed. And I was like, that's it. That's the image that I was looking for. And that right there, I knew whatever those guys were, that's what I'm gonna do. And I had a sense it was Navy SEALs. And I went and talked to the recruiter the next day and they say, you know, don't do that. Those guys are crazy. And I said, that's right. I'm definitely doing that. Wow. Wow. Cool. <laughs> so check this out. I'll put a pin in the story. So I decided to go all in. I said, I'm gonna be a Navy SEAL. The recruiter says, listen, you're, you know, we're only going to take one or two guys from the civilian world because I wanted to be an officer through officer Candidate school to seal training. I said, well, I'm going to be one of those guys. So every day I just shifted my whole mindset to where all my mental training became about being a seal. And my visualization shifted now to where I visualize myself going through seal training and graduating, right? And down in the feeling of what it would feel like when I graduated. And I practice every single day at the end of my meditation and breathing practice. And nine months into this new practice. This is, by the way, it's a long process to get into the SEALs. It takes several years. It's not something you just call someone and you're there the next day. So nine months into my shift where I said I'm going to be a Navy SEAL, and now I started practicing mentally to be a Navy SEAL, I had this overwhelming sensation, very similar to that swimming thing. But this was like where I suddenly knew that I was going to be a Navy SEAL. It wasn't any doubt. It went from want to total certainty. Mm -hmm. And about three days later, the recruiter called me and said, congratulations mark Guess what <laughs> you got one of the two billets you know one of the two slots so november of 1989 i got my mba from stern school of business i got my certified public Accountant; literally mailed to me in the mail i passed my uh, first degree black belt test which is a real kick in the jimmy and then i was on a bus to officer cannon school i left all of that behind i wow. went to navy steel training it's incredible wow. my class 100 uh, so so there i go April after officer kind school, I class up with class one, seven, zero, 185 total studs. And, um, nine months later, there were only 19 of us left. And I was the honor man, number one graduate. And my entire boat crew, my entire team of seven, six others. So seven total, uh, graduated with me. So the Zen training had a profound effect, not just on me, but my entire team, because I was able to bring these skills to them. And we started training, breathing, staying calm, you know, being the leaders for the rest of the class. It was pretty extraordinary.
0: We have been speaking with Mark Devine. He is a retired Navy SEAL commander. He has written the book, Staring Down the Wolf, Seven Leadership Commitments That Forge Elite Teams. This has been part one of a two-part conversation that we're having with Mark. Uh, Stay tuned for part two, where we will be talking more about how he applies all of the learnings that you've heard about into the corporate world and into the work with his students, et cetera. So thank you for joining us. And Mark, thank you so much for being on the Bregman Leadership Podcast. Thank you, Peter. It's been awesome. I look forward to part two. If you enjoyed this episode of the Bregman Leadership Podcast, Then you also might enjoy my newest book, You Can Change Other People. You can find it on Amazon or wherever books are sold or by going to BregmanPartners.com forward slash new book. That's one word. If you've already enjoyed the book and found it useful, consider telling a friend or leaving a review on Amazon. Leaving a review helps retailers recommend the book to others just like you. So it's really helpful. Thanks to Claire Marshall for producing this episode. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next great conversation.